your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive achievements inspire positive thought and action. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Knoll. Check out his music and learn more about him at chrisknoll.com. C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Visit my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can sign up for podcast updates and learn more about guests and more about me. And also follow this podcast at, again, yourpositiveimprint.com. Please don't forget to share your favorite episodes and go shopping. I have camping mugs, clothing, duffel bags. There's so much in my shop, yourpositiveimprint.com. Listen and follow my show from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, or of course, listen from your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to hit that subscribe, download, or follow button. This is a free podcast. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? Water. Fire. Breath. David Royce and Michael Boyd were mesmerized with the authentic and romantic art of glassblowing from an early age. It is the water, fire, and breath of the glassblower that drew them in. A pot where molten melted glass awaited the artisan to transform it into a breathtaking piece of art. The two share their stories of what it means to be a glassblower and what it means to be sustainable in a world where lowering the carbon footprint is crucial. This is such a, a larger scale of modern sustainable lighting that is taking place here in Minnesota, United States by Michael Boyd and David Royce. They are co-owners of what is called Bicycle Glass. David, Michael, hello. Hello. Good, hello. good to speak with you. Hi. Yeah. So before we get started, I know that you are in the lighting business and in glass blowing, and both of you have had this artisan past. I'm excited to have you, and I'm sure the listeners are wondering what this is going to be about. Well, this is Michael talking, but when I was, you know, about nine years old, I went to a place called Greenfield Village in near Detroit, Michigan, and they had, you know, a blacksmith and a candle maker, and they actually had a silk weaver, which is interesting, but they had a glass blower, and I was transfixed by it, watching the, the molten glass. And my parents noticed that. And so, so when I turned 14, they enrolled me in a class, which was wow. a very fortunate thing for me. And so I've been doing it ever since. I've been learning how to work glass and, and blow glass uh, ever since. And then David has a similar uh, sort of story at, at this similar age. Which, yeah. Well, Michael, let me ask you a question. Oh. Mm-hmm. So when you were watching the glass blowing, was it the same type of experience I had where I was watching the fellow do animals or were you watching at a larger scale? So, yeah. So that now sometimes the animals, when you make little animals, it's over like a torch, like a little, a flame. Oh, there's a, see. They call that flame working. Whereas like what I call offhand glass blowing is, yeah, like you said, a little larger scale. You have a four foot long pipe and you gather it up and and so the, the gather on the end of the blow pipe, which is the molten glass, 
is, uh, you know, anywhere from uh, a baseball size to, well, a basketball size. And then you can, you know, make pieces from there. And so that's how we make our, our lights. That's how we make our glass shades is, is by gathering glass up and blowing it. So we're going to have to get even a, a more detailed explanation once we hear from David. This is, uh, so see, I, I'm learning this too, because I just thought glass blowing was just a larger scale of, of heat uh, of torch, but it's quite different. And I'm anxious to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Th- that's awesome. Okay. So, and then. David, yeah. Yeah, so I have a I have a fairly similar story. I saw it first at the Renaissance Festival, which is everybody dresses up in costume and they they had a glass blower and you know, very, very similar. I must have seen it when I was five and then um, you know, transfixed by it and I thought, you know, I should probably do that one day. And when I was fifteen the opportunity presented itself to me and we were visiting kind of an arts building. And I knew there were glass blowers upstairs and I, I walked upstairs and I said, how old do you have to be to be an apprentice? And they said, well, <laughs> you know, you gotta be 18. How old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm 15. And they said, that's okay. Just come back tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's hard to turn down free help. And so that's how I got started. And I just, I just kept at it. And it was, you know, just like anybody who's had that experience of something that's a very, it's, it's, you know, very transfixing. There's the elements of fire and water and breath. And it's very easy to sort of get uh, caught up in its seductive nature. So, so that's, that's how I started. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really love the eloquence of your descriptions regarding the, what you were transfixed on from such. In my case, I really was. I mean, I stayed there, you know, the rest of the family went off and saw all the other stuff and they just left me there all day. And I just watched them <laughs> they mug over and over and over again. So. Yeah, I was stuck. I think that is so awesome that there is such inspiration in what you are doing and not just because there's sustainability that we're going to be talking about, but the fact that you continued to think about both of you, what it is that you saw that really resonated for whatever reason within yourselves. And that's what you've been doing your whole adult life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really something. I I don't know if a lot of people in the world have that kind of experience where they they you know just sort of caught by something so much that it just it carries them through. You know, it's it's an issue. I feel very fortunate about it. It's for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting, and I think too that you know this world is you know many things are digital now. Obviously, you know that just is such a cliche cliche to even say that. But even still today, you know, Michael and I have. 50 plus years of combined experience blowing glass. And even when I sit down at the bench today, there's still tons for me to analyze and learn. Even as I make the same thing over and over and over again, there's, it's, you know, there's a certain freshness. Like if you bring, you know, if you bring a good attention to what you're doing, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for learning more about the material. So yeah, I, it's still fascinating to me years and years later. It's kind of awesome. I like. I would echo Michael's sentiment that I feel very, very fortunate to have found something that's that's like that. My, my dad always used to say, "There's so many people in the world that don't know what to do," you know. And that's true. You know, it's yeah, and so it's it's a it's a it's a really good thing to to figure that out. And it is. And my show, Your Positive Imprint, I've received emails from people around the world who have said, "Oh my gosh." 
after listening to your show, I think I have identified my own positive imprint and I'm going to go for it. And so it's, it's nice that people like you and my other guests are sharing your positive imprints and how you got there. And some struggled and some didn't, some knew right away, like yourselves, that this is what you want to do, but you didn't know right away that you wanted to get into such a sustainable well, that, that's interesting. and I, I'm just thinking about that as we're talking. It it occurred. So let's see. I, I worked for a bunch of different glass blowers all through the Upper Midwest, and then I started my own studio with my brother. We did that for a number of years, doing art shows. I moved back to the Twin Cities to be with my fiance, which was sort of important. And yeah. I started a studio, and I had people coming to me saying, "Hey, can I use your studio when you're not using it?" And I just kept saying yes. Before I knew it, I had to rent a bigger space. And in order to pay for the space, I had to teach classes. So I basically started a glassblowing school. Eventually, we turned that school into a nonprofit. And when we wrote the mission for that nonprofit, I put in there at the end of the mission was to do it in as environmentally responsible way as possible. And I remember very distinctly having that first meeting and talking about that. And Sort of over time, that that part of the mission fell off because it was so hard to do with this craft. It takes so much energy to melt glass. But in the back of my mind, it was always there, you know, and I was like, I got to figure out how to get back to that. Because it it is, it's it's a a very burdensome craft as far as a, a carbon footprint is concerned. So it's a real joy to have partnered with David and get to the point where we can try to do this, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's not... It's not my, you know, when, when we used to do this, you know, I used to do, and Michael, Michael and I both used to do shows and it was not exactly at least a carbon, you know, from a carbon footprint standpoint, it was definitely not a, a, a positive imprint type of a business that we were in. And it was, you know, you know, I had gotten myself addicted to glass wine and, you know, I had a business to support. And then later on I had children to support and a family to support, you know, so, but it was always obvious that it was not it wasn't necessarily a good thing that I was doing, certainly for the planet. Yeah, the same. I would say that it's been really fun to actually find some way to make this a little bit, a little bit better because I've always felt personally bad about the carbon footprint that I've, you know, created over the years. We would go to, we would go to art shows. You know, I would drive as far as Florida, and you'd have to leave your furnace on because it's more efficient to leave your furnace on. And I would drive all the way across the country and set up a tent and sell my stuff and then drive all the way back across the country to my furnace that had stayed on and then work for three more days and take a plane trip back down to do another show. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. really, it was really kind of a hard, very heavily burdensome carbon footprint that I was creating. It's, it's an old market style too, you know, like this idea that you load up your cart and go to market, you know, and then you come back to your workshop, you know, it's this very, the, the art show circuit thing is a very old style. I love the romanticism that Mm -hmm. comes with the blacksmiths and the glass blowers, but what you're saying never crossed my mind until I started looking at your website and I was thinking, oh my gosh, all these years, my romanticism of this type of work is like you said, the carbon footprint is kind of a large one, but you have found ways (laughs) to go about that, not to go about it, but to actually get right down to it and lower your carbon footprint. And I think that is so amazing. And that's what actually how I found you was my mother found you and 
said, wow, they are really working towards this sustainability in their glass blowers. And as romantic of, and you know what I mean when I'm talking about the romanticism. Oh, sure. of, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it, it's pretty incredible it's like a so let's, thing to watch you know so yeah and, and it's uh and it's a fun and it's, it really is a fun lifestyle to like i don't mean to disparage it at all because that's how i made my living and i have friends that still make their living that way and it really is a absolutely a romantic way to sort of make your make your living and it's like extraordinarily authentic and you know the people you know, the people that you connect with that actually, you know, buy your stuff at an art fair, you know, that was, you know, that's, you know, there, there was times where that was fairly rare and difficult to, to achieve, you know, just to make a living. And it, it was really kind of, a, there's I, tons of stories, but there's lots of, there's a very big romantic part of that. And, well. you know, I, I always thought too, when we entered down the sustainability path, which, you know, was like, well, geez, if, if glass blowers can figure out how to make their carbon footprint better anybody can make their carbon footprint better you know i mean this is like <laughs> the hardest thing to do you know you know i could imagine maybe some others but we're up there at the top yeah so it's a continual path trying to trying to figure that out so well i i really commend you both for for this that you are taking on so let's talk about that path that you've taken and how you are actually doing it mm-hmm. So how are you achieving this? Sure. So, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that we started with, we started with it, and it's also the biggest thing, is we use recycled glass. And it's post-consumer recycled glass that comes from the, the recycling facility. So, it, 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 you know, a, a person is at home here in our community and in the Twin Cities. They put a couple of glass bottles in the, in the bin. The truck picks it up. And it goes to a sorting facility and we go to that sorting facility and pick it up. So, you know, just right off the bat, the amount of transportation footprint is as small as it could probably be. And so uh, the other thing is, is that when you melt glass that's already been melted, it, it takes a lot less energy to get it molten. And I don't have my statistics here handy, but it's, it's you know, upwards of 20, 30 percent, I'm remembering that it takes a, you know, a lot less energy to melt just right off the bat. And it's, it's easier on your equipment too, because when you melt glass from a batch formula, you have to add these, these fluxes in there that help the glass melt, the, the, the sand melt at a lower temperature. And those fluxes also degrade your furnace really badly. They like melt the surface of your, your crucible that you're melting it in. So it's, it's easier on the equipment, it's easier on the, how much natural gas it takes to actually uh, melt the glass. And I should say that's how we melt the glass is with natural gas. We used to have an electric furnace, but it was easier to, to go all natural gas with it. So that's the first way. We start to get into you know, things of making our equipment more efficient, which we're in the process of doing. And yeah, that's, that's uh, the, the biggest and, and way that we've uh, worked towards sustainability. So, and I would say too, we do, so all of our packaging is a hundred percent, uh, recycled and recyclable. So there's no packing peanuts. There's none of that. We recycled the building, the buildings. We, we literally go out to the, to the recycling dumpster and pull the other company's boxes back out. Of, and then we run it through this machine that kind of crimps it a little bit. So we can use that as our packing material. And we, yeah, so this is sort of a waste, not want not type of a type. Exactly. Of a yeah. So we're always looking for ways that we can um, 
lower that carbon footprint. So, and then additionally, I would say too, like the way, the way we used to do it. So the batch that Michael was talking about, it's, it's amazing to think about its carbon footprint. And I think I, I can sum it up pretty succinctly and say that many of the raw constituents of the glass are, are actually quarried in the Midwest and they're shipped off to the East coast where they're blended. So they're, you know, they're trucked out to the, to the East coast blended at a facility that makes it into a very specific coefficient of expansion that works with color bar. So all the colored <laughs> glass that you get is imported from Germany and New Zealand. And yeah. so, so then that, that batch glass is then shipped back across the country again to California where it's held at a distribution center. And then we pick up the phone and buy a ton at a time and say, Hey, I need another ton. And it ships back all the way back to Minnesota where the original constituents are from. Then we put it in our furnace and we lose about 20% by weight every time we melt it. So it the, the, the actual constituents of the glass turn into CO2 and disappear, which so, is a sort of so an yeah. interesting thing. So, yeah, so that, that's uh, in contrast to what we're doing, which is taking glass that's already been melted and you just melt it. You don't, none of it turns into a gas. It takes less energy. The other, the old model is really, it's kind of amazing when you think about it. I, I remember hearing a statistic recently that global shipping this is mostly over water, had the carbon footprint as large as the sixth largest, largest nation on earth, just global shipping, you know? So that, that's just a huge thing that we got to figure out. We got to use the things that are around us, like going out to the cardboard dumpster, you know? So Those are really good points. Absolutely good points. Because again, you're putting your, you're taking your own positive achievements and you're allowing us to try to become a little bit more active with our own actions and become more positive and intentional. The shipping is the last thing that I've really been thinking about. There are things that you're saying that truly are something that is definitely resonating in me as far as the footprint and the sustainability. And you're future thinkers. This is fabulous. And you're so young. That's awesome too, because you're going to be around a while. And so your carbon footprint is going to continue to make this difference mm -hmm. in not just Minnesota, but it's going to spread. So why bicycle glass? Yeah. Well, we were looking for a name and we were like, okay, recycle, right? And so bicycle, it's like, it's a, it's a partnership between the consumer who's putting bottles in their bin. And so it's a two cycle, you know, so that was kind of the general idea. But then on top of that, it's, you know, bicycles are human powered. And that's what we are at Bicycle Glass because we have, you know, hand glass blowers. You know, we support, uh, geez, I'd have to count them, but, you know, upwards of uh, you know, 15 to 20 glass blowers that, you know, so that's human powered. You know, it's not anything but. And so uh, there's that aspect. And plus, Everybody loves bicycles. That's, I, you know, I, when you think of uh, first learning to ride a bike, it's just a, it's a feeling of freedom, you know? And I remember reading one quote that when bicycles were first invented, they said that, you know, there was a one person that said somewhere uh, that it's the closest thing to flying. And so, you know, it's just, it, it, ha it has a good connotation, uh, that human powered uh, bicycle. So, yeah. I love that you thought about this for your name. I absolutely love it. And I love the human powered. There's something absolutely fantastic in just thinking about that with your glass blowing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through the process of the actual glass blowing? Well, uh, let's see. Like, like one of your sconces or 
something like take an item that you make and how is what is the process? Sure. So, you know, there's there's what I call true offhand glass blowing, which means you, you actually shape it. You know, you get the glass on the end of the blowpipe and you sit down at a bench and you roll it on the bench and you you shape the glass, uh, sometimes almost with your hand with a, a pad of wet newspaper between it, almost like a potter would, right? Well, you know, we realized pretty quickly that we weren't going to be able to, so this is kind of where the business part of it comes in. We weren't going to be able to get any good sort of uh, price point where we could open up a market, you know, get into a real uh, volume without changing our process. So before, when we did the art show circuit, we were making vases and sculptures and things. Everything was totally hand-shaped and every piece had a little unique quality to it, right? One was a little bigger, one was a little smaller, one was a little fatter. We realized we needed to, to kind of step up the evolutionary glass blowing ladder a little bit and start using molds. So we, we made molds and that way we can standardize the pieces. So they all fit the hardware just right. And you have three of them hanging in your kitchen and they all look the same, you know, cause people kind of want that. And that would be a way that we could start to get a little better price point because it's a little faster to blow it into a mold. There's still so, plenty of uh, skill that's involved in blowing it into a mold. And, a and lot of skill. Which is, which is sort of contrary to, you know, people will think, oh man, it's blown into a mold. It must be just like, that must be so easy. And it's actually kind of, it's just different. It's, there's still plenty of skill that's involved and there's plenty of pieces that we internally recycle that are a uh, testament to the fact of how difficult yeah. that is. Yeah. But in any case, uh, yeah, they all get blown into molds. And then as we, you know, they go through the process of grinding and cold working and drilling and and then after that, they they all get sort of matched to each other. So when somebody orders a set of three, we might make, you know, 10, 15 pieces or something. And then we will we'll look at them and we'll say, okay, these three match each other. And these two can go together and this one can go alone. And these six will be for this order. So we're constantly sort of like, there's still in lots of individual variation, even though they're, you know, even though they're blown into molds and they're, they're more uniform. There's still variation that um, makes each piece a little bit unique and a little bit special, you know, but we're constantly trying to find ones that sort of make good groupings and families. So as they go to people's homes, you know, there's, there's care in every step of the process that's being, you know, which pieces are chosen, which pieces are put together, which pieces are grouped, et cetera. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What is the temperature <laughs> that, that you're working with? Well, it's about 2,100 degrees, so 2,100 Fahrenheit, and that's that's the temperature that we work at, and that's that's when the glass is glowing, you know, red hot. Red, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it flows about the consistency of somewhere between molasses and honey. Yeah, so it's just incredible to me that we can that we have this craft at, at all. Because those are, you know, those are pretty high temperatures. And even me as a little girl, when I would watch the fellow with the small torch, I mean, you're looking at a lot of heat and to melt that glass and to make the little puppy dog or the giraffe or whatever it might've been. So, and, and it's, it's exciting to watch. I can't imagine what it's like in your, in your industrial yeah, uh, glass yeah. making shop. Mm -hmm. I think for people that are like, just, you know, just starting it just to like, 
describe it a little, you know, the first, you know, the first time you step up to a furnace, the heat is unlike anything that you've ever experienced before. And you watch glass blowers that have done it for years and years and they, they know, they know what it's like. And so they know not to be bothered by it, but you're staring at something that's, that's as hot as anything you've ever experienced. And it's, you know, the first time I didn't even complete my first gather, it was just, it was so hot, you know, but as you get used to it, you know, you're, it's, you know, you, again, you're just, you kind of normalize to it. It gets normalized yeah. and you work with all this extraordinary, extraordinary heat and smoke and breath and fire. And it's, it's a pretty exciting and visceral process for how these things get made. And, you know, the glass is literally a puddle of molten, molten glass and it gets drawn up onto stainless steel pipes. And then it gets with your own breath and heat and newspaper and shaping, it gets blown into its form. And then with water, you knock the piece off and it cools down from there. So, so yeah, the whole process is this like incredibly visceral process. It's, it's really, it's really exciting. And it's why the craft should, you know, should stay, you know, even though it is a carbon footprint, heavy endeavor, there's nothing like it that I've ever found. That's quite the same. So. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it. Well, David mentioned the fire, the water and the breath. Explain the breath. It seems like, you know, gosh, we would, you know, people will say, well, gosh, you definitely can't inhale. You know, you'll, you'll burn your lungs out and, you know, you'll die. Well, it's not like that. It's, you know, it's, it's like anything. If you, you know, if you're blowing when it's really, really hot, it's like blowing like the softest blowing, uh, you know, bubble gum you've ever blown. And if you're blowing it when it's too cold, it blows like concrete, you know, like it, it won't form a bubble at all. So it has everything to do with having enough heat and then, and then you can blow as soft as a whisper and you can, but when it's really cold, you have to really, you know, really put your lungs into it. So it just, it all just, it all depends. So, and that's, yeah, the whole, the whole process is, is, is you're constantly adjusting to the glass. You're, you're following its lead. This is really interesting. So interesting. So when you make a mistake, like you are supposed to be making it sort of round and it comes out as you're, as you're blowing, it comes out, not the, the shape that you actually wanted. You just dip it back in and start over, right? Well, no, that what we do is we'll get rid of it. We'll put it in a bucket. It'll cool down. It'll crack. It'll break. And then when it's cool, we get to recycle that in house. So if it's a blue a glass that we're making, we get to put it in the next blue batch. So it's really cool because almost I'm not going to say a hundred percent gets recycled because there's some things that just, you know, go on the floor and we sweep it up and throw it away, but it's gotta be 95% of the glass. So, so we get to remelt our mistakes. Um, Honestly, they, we pick out the things that people shouldn't be recycling and they're recycling. Oh so, yeah. So that's where the 95%. So people throw away a light bulb, for example, that has a little tungsten element or they throw away their Corel ware that really shouldn't be going in the recycling. Din- a lot of dinner plate shards uh, you know, pe- people put dinner plate shards in the in i can't recycling i cannot tell you how many pieces get ruined by people not recycling quite properly which is funny you know but it's it makes this particular style like incredibly i mean so i should just say what like this particular it's not just like you can throw this glass in a furnace and like everything comes out right like it's brutal it's <laughs> it's awful to work with it's really challenging. It's a you tough know, class. Yeah. The stuff that the stuff that you get that you know the reason why people still use the batch class is because it's way more consistent. It's way easier to use. 
we, it's not, it's not like we do this cause it's easy. Like, like yeah, we, true. we struggle through this whole process every single time because it's worth it. Like our values of what we decided we're going to do, like necessitate that this is worth it to do, even though it's like challenging and hard to make this work. Good for you both. What, how wonderful this all is, everything that you're doing. And, and I really liked the sconces on your website. They're just beautiful. And the other fixtures, but I, I want to go back to something you said, because I, I think that it's something that we as recyclers don't think about. And that is number one, my husband is, has told me, I'm very good at this now, but a few years ago, he was telling me, honey, you have to rinse out all of the recycling. They can't use it if it's got a little bit of food particles in it. That's why they say don't recycle the cardboard boxes from the pizza. Mm -hmm. And after talking to Sydney, who is part of this sea monkey project in Australia, Sydney was talking about her plastic shredding machine. And she said that when people leave their food in the recycle in the recycling, they just recycle it and it gets hard and chunky, it won't go through the machine. Mm. And you mentioned something about people don't know how to recycle their glass. But tell me about that, what you meant about they don't know how to recycle. Because I, I would like to learn this too. What are they doing? What are we doing we, wrong? We don't, we don't mind the food particles. Um, yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, leave them on. You know, keep it easy for yourself because we're, you know, they, none of them can find something that you can eat that'll sustain, sustain our, you know, or uh, withstand our furnace temperatures. Yeah, no, you're, you're fine. But. So, so with plastic, right, they, they only get as high as uh, three, four, sometimes 500 degrees, but those are pretty special plastics. So, you know, like 350 and that's not enough. High, high enough temperature for those food particles to uh, vaporize, right? To break down and and go away. Whereas with the glass, I mean, we're putting in a 2000 degree furnace, all that stuff just disappears. But yeah, you know, uh, dinner plates, uh, definitely not recyclable. Uh, that's, I think that's probably the biggest majority. I, I actually have a collection of these things that I pull out of the glass. So while we're working the glass, we'll see something in it. And I have a, a pair of scissors and I, I sort of dig in with the scissors and I pluck the thing out and I save them. And at some point I'm going to make like a little display of the different things that I've pulled out of the glass. Oh, I understand now. So people are getting rid of their stoneware, stoneware. which is not considered yeah. glass. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I understand. Yeah. Now. A lot of that, you know, and I, I just recently went to a recycling facility near here and it was a post-consumer facility. So it was just everything's coming in the, the front part of it. And there was shredded paper everywhere in the process. And I asked him about that and he said, oh my God, that's the single hardest thing to get rid of is shredded paper. It just gets broken up and into everything. And so every pile that was like, you know, sorted by this giant machine, essentially in this building, all of it had some shredded paper in it. And then at the end, he handed me a refrigerator magnet and it said the six worst things to try to recycle. Like, don't recycle these. And one of, the only two I can remember are extension cords and shredded paper. And at the end of it, we looked at his glass pile that was coming off the machine and he said, and it was full of <laughs> shredded paper. He said, yeah, and that's after we installed a million dollar machine to try to collect the shredded paper. 
And so it was, uh, that was, that really stuck with me. It's a little off the glass topic, but uh, there are these things that I learn when I go to the recycling facility that you don't, you don't hear about, you know? So. And there's some, there's some more interesting stuff there too. Cause like, like recently there's been, so like China used to buy all of our recycling and right. they've now, they now have a, a, a program where they really have cracked down on, on purchasing our, our recycling. And so, so we have to, you know, in this country in particular, we have to get better at recycling and going to a single sort method, you know, you go to these recycling centers and they have really expensive machinery to, to sift and sort it automatically. But, but yeah, it's, and it's increased engagement in the recycling in general, which is great, but the quality has gone down tremendously. So it's kind of this interesting, it's a very interesting sort of a thing like the, the economy of, of recycling these, these days. And I'm, there are certain communities, none in Minnesota, but I know certain communities around the country where depending on the way they've set up their contracts, some of the recycling is actually just simply going into the trash. And I, I don't know which, which communities they are, but it's, you know, they used to be able to be sold to China. Now that's not exactly the case anymore, unless it's super high quality recycling. So there's just, there's a kind of, a, there's a, there are, there are things happening in the recycling industry around the country that are very interesting right now. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is. And I, I did not know why, but now I do because they don't tell you why they just say, this yeah. is what you need to do. And I think that it would be, I think if the city were to tell the consumers or the recyclers, why? we're doing things like the, the little, the shredded paper is getting over everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just describe it. It's been really fascinating to go, go to some of these places. The, the, the latest one I went to with the shredded paper problem, you know, when I was there, they had a jam and it was, it was like everything stopped and they all kind of ran to the jam with like, pitchforks <laughs> and they they kind of dug at this jammed conveyor belt and then they got it going again and it is a machine but it's also got a lot of people involved in it too this particular facility had actually had a robot too that was picking out hdpe with an optical sensor and it, and it was actually it had like a suction cup on the end of it and it was like you know as the conveyor would go by it was plucking and, and dropping it into a bin and th- that robot was right next to five people doing the same thing. And so it, it was sort of interesting to see that, like it's a continuing, uh, you know, they're continuing to try to automate that process. Uh, yeah. Well, I think my next stop, or at least one of my next stops, should be a visit to our recycling plant. Yeah, I was wondering, <laughs> yep. It's a good, good yeah. thing to learn about. And you, I mean... Just to give you a sense, it's not really just one machine. It's sort of this gigantic facility that utilizes multiple machines that are based off of each. You know, you think of this like single sort recycling where everything goes in one bin. Very easy. But then you have to sort of think about what properties are in each portion of that that's recycled. You know, so for example, like if you have something that's uh, heavy versus something that's light, you can use an air current to sort of blow the light stuff off and then have the heavier stuff fall or you can have magnets that pull out things that are magnetic or you know so they're using all the different properties of of this stuff in the in the automation which i just think is just absolutely fascinating how they've figured out how to take everything and process it so the recycling facility that does us 
I just think it's a fascinating statistic. We heard it was 400 tons per day of glass that they recycle. It might, it might be that high. So I, you know, the, the, the amount that we're recycling is, is a little bit astonishing, like just rich. Mm -hmm. So can I ask you, do you have to pay for the glass or do you just go and, and you get it? We, we, yeah, at first, you know, when we first started, we were just getting like a, a 55 gallon barrel of it, you know, and the guy, the guy there, he was very nice. He, he basically said like, well, that's just a little bit, just go ahead and take it. And so it started off that way, but no, we pay market rate for it now. Yep. So everything that you're doing is so phenomenal and it's so awesome. And I want to visit your, your place. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and next time we are up north, I, I would like to do that and and stop in and see you and see all your wonderful fixtures as well. So what an exciting, exciting craft that you have. It is. Thank you. And I'm still stuck on that fire, water, and breath because it's just <laughs> that's just exciting for me the whole bit. And so, is there anything we didn't touch on that you would like to be sure that we touch on? Well, we do. You know, we're working on our energy, and it's a funny one to work on because it actually takes capital to kind of to fix those problems. But the one thing we I have been doing for about a year and a half to two years is we've been offsetting all of our electricity with wind wind power. Our, our utility company has a, a really good program with some wind turbines in Iowa and uh, southern Minnesota that uh, you can offset all of your electricity with it. And so that's that's one thing we've been doing. Yeah, sir. Yeah, we're just we're you know you know we're we're trying to go as carbon neutral as possible. That's like a goal that Michael and I have sort of set for ourselves, and it's a really it's really hard to do. Like it's really <laughs> it's really challenging to try to figure out like how are we going to achieve that goal. But I think even just the pursuit of it at every step of the way is really just important because I think for our, our customers need to know that we're like, that's just something we're trying to do because it's important to us. You know, it, it may not help our bottom line, but it's something that's really meaningful to us and I think is meaningful to them. So when, when a customer purchases, purchases something like we are really endeavoring to do better <laughs> that, you know, and you know, the, the short, sweet elevator pitch is that it should, you know, when we started the business is all of our products should be beautiful, economical and sustainable. So, you know, you know, to that end, you know, we're trying to keep prices reasonable for customers so they don't feel like they're getting gouged so that they can access these beautiful pieces of light. And when they access them, they can feel good knowing that they're made sustainably, that workers are paid a fair and good wage and actual, you know, artisans are making a real living doing something that they're extraordinarily passionate about, that they've spent years, you know, perfecting their craft. And now they're getting, they're getting sort of honored by that, honored for that and and paid for that, which is really like, you know, I used to like have a lot of, you know, a lot of joy in creating the own piece, but now like the best thing that I, I do is shake somebody hand, somebody's hand when I hire them. That just is super meaningful to me. So yeah, I agree. So we're 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 really excited to kind of you know build this company that you know hopefully is doing good by doing well, and it's not easy to do, but we're we're super um, committed to what we're doing. So. There's one other thing that occurred to me too, which is that if there's any doubt about is is doing things sustainably good for business, I mean, it, it really is. You know, over the past three years, we've proven it because we don't have to buy 
a very expensive batch glass anymore. I mean, these are things that, that people are throwing away and we're trying to use into a product. And so it's, you know, that sometimes you hear that out there that, oh, well, it costs more money to do that. And, it, and I really strongly believe it's not true. So I'm so enamored with what you are doing. And I love that you can say that you provide beautiful, economical, and sustainable products for the consumer. Thank you so much, David and Michael, for sharing your positive imprint and all of your achievements. And I wish you the best of luck, and I hope sometime to be able to shake your hand. <laughs> come on out and uh, come on out and see it whenever you want. So. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Learn more about today's inspiring guests, bicycleglass.com. Your positive imprint. What's your PI?